This is Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit, and this is the special midterms episode, November 14th. And I got to be honest with you, I'm completely blown away by the results of the midterms. And that's what we're going to talk about for the most part on this episode. I don't think there's going to be any legal portion if I have some time, perhaps. I almost didn't even do this podcast. It's, it's rare for me to feel completely just blown away, defeated, shocked, all the above. But I felt that I should get it out because by the following week, the news cycle will have changed and we'll be on to something else. And, I, and there were just too many thoughts that were in my head I wanted to get out. First of all, let me just say this from the beginning. There is absolutely no way that the results of the midterms that we've seen now reflect the will of the American people, reflect the mood of the American people. It's just, it's just not accurate. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's fraud. I'm just saying that this is not the will of the people, that there are other things afoot that have sort of changed, that have overwhelmed, I suppose, the national mood. But I, I really dug in and I looked at all different possibilities. So if you want to listen to it all, here, here's your opportunity. I want to start with this. The midterm elections, if you go back, go back numerous elections. Let's go back to Bill Clinton and the results of his first midterm elections in 1994. Okay, this is a Democrat. Republicans won both houses. They won 54 extra seats in Congress, nine seats in the Senate. Republicans captured both houses for the first time since 1952. Republicans also picked up a net of 10 governorships. Barack Obama, another Democrat, first midterm elections in 2010. Republicans won 63 seats in Congress, flipping Congress and seven in the Senate. Republicans also picked up six governorships. Let's go to Trump, Republican, 2018. His first and only midterm elections. Democrats added 41 seats in Congress. They won the House. Republicans gained two in the Senate, which they had controlled anyway. In the state elections, Democrats gained seven governorships, control of approximately 350 state legislative seats, and control of six state legislative chambers. And, and this is what happens when the party that's in power during the first midterms, almost universally, the other party makes up ground. It's just the response to people complaining about how things are going during that first, you know, during the country, during that first midterm. It's natural. That's what happens. Now let's look at what's going on right now, the circumstances in place when Joe Biden had his first midterm elections. He had the lowest approval rating for any modern U.S. president. He's also the oldest president ever, and there's questions about whether he's even competent. Inflation, it's at a 50-year high. Interest rates are at 20-year highs. Gas prices, they're through the roof. Supply chain issues, which started from uh, the lockdown, the pandemic lockdown, they've barely been lessened nearly three years later. Crime and violent crime are up double digits in every major city. The southern border is wide open. Over a million illegals have crossed into America unchecked, which have added to the crime surge. I don't know how factors could be more in place to have a massive red wave like no other. It was a perfect storm for a red wave. People are miserable. They're unhappy. They're scared. They're living paycheck to paycheck to a degree that has never been recorded in perhaps American history. Yet somehow, by the time the votes have finally been counted in these midterms, and they're still being counted a week later, the Democrats will have gained at least one seat in the Senate, capturing the Senate. They don't need uh, Kamala Harris as their, their tie-breaking vote anymore. And they'll lose just single digits in Congress, still maintaining control over both houses, or very close to it, is my guess. I don't know that 
they're going to lose uh, much of anything in Congress. They'll lose a few seats, but they'll still probably still have control. This was impossible to imagine a week ago. Absolutely impossible. Now, in my mind, and I've said this uh, publicly, I predicted a complete disaster. I've said this a few times, and I'm sure that I'm just whistling in the wind, but I felt that disaster would be afoot. And I'll go into that later, because I certainly have been one of the earliest to warn of what I considered to be some of the problems here. How historically good was this elections for the Democrats? It's the, the best first midterm election performance for any Democrat since John F. Kennedy, despite Biden having the lowest favorability rating in modern history. Now, what's the cause of this shocking election miracle, which went against all the polling? Well, the first thing that, that people jump out to think of is, well, there's fraud that occurred. I don't know. I do know that there has to be some cheating or at least an accuracy. Just walk into any polling place. It's usually mayhem, complete mayhem. I walked into uh, to vote at my polling place and was not required to show ID. I just needed to know my address. They didn't match my signature. We're told that to ask for ID at a polling station is racist. Yet somehow you need an ID to rent a car, to get on a plane. I think you need an ID to get cough syrup and certainly to buy a beer. You don't know who actually is voting without having to show an ID. I mean, isn't that clear? But for some reasons, I can guess, Democrats insist that no identification be used for voting. It's utter madness. Think about it. You just walk in, say your name, and you're allowed to vote? What are we appealing to? The lowest common denominator of American voter who doesn't even have an ID? What percentage of America is that? One-tenth of one-hundredth of one-thousandth of one-millionth of one percent? Other issues, ballot harvesting. It's the practice in which political operatives collect absentee ballots from voters' homes and they drop them off at a polling place in one fell swoop. Sometimes they bring in hundreds of absentee ballots and no one really knows for sure if they're ever actually filled out by the people whose names are on the ballots themselves. 25 states in D.C. permit chosen uh, voters, people that are chosen by the voters, to return the mail ballots on their behalf. Democrats do this with regularity, and they do it well. Republicans are, of course, naturally clueless. That's what happens when you have lousy leadership in your party. You fall behind on such an important voting issue. By Monday afternoon, I'm talking last Monday, a day before the election, more than 42 million Americans had already voted through early voting or mail-ins. And this is continuing an increase that took off during the pandemic. And of the 42 million early votes, the great majority are from Democrats. They know how to get their vote out or get something out that has Democrat as the vote. Early voting or mail-ins were 14% of the vote in 2002 up to 20% in 2006, 26% in 2010, 31% in 2014, 40% in 2018. But the pandemic hit and it really took off. 69% of Americans voted in an alternative way in 2020. And it was in that election that the deeply popular Joe Biden, a guy who hadn't come close to even a sniff of the White House, despite multiple campaigns at age, I don't know, he was 78, got the most votes in history for president, 81 million. The problem with mail-ins, and I find it troubling that you don't know the winner by the end of the election day. That's really the main thing. Regardless of whether the vote is accurate, it raises a question, it isn't transparent, and it gives rise to distrust of the process. Plus, it almost always seems to be that when there's a candidate who's winning on election night, the end of election night, and it's a close race these days, it takes days or weeks later for there to be a winner to be determined. And it's usually the Democrat that comes from behind and wins the election. And to that end, listen to this. I checked this. Somehow in California and Arizona, 
two states with Democrats in charge of counting ballots. Now, six days after the election, some of their districts are at 40 to 60 percent of the ballots counted. A week later, almost. In California alone, there are 12 different voting districts with ballots counted between 47 and 75 percent. That's it. Six days after the election, there's only 52 total districts in California. And 12 of these are that low in terms of counting. It's just unacceptable. It's unfair, it's un-American, and it gives the appearance of fraud. Doesn't mean there is fraud, but it certainly smells bad. How else to explain this, except for the fact that it happens in places run by Democrats? With regard to early voting, why should you be able to vote a month or two before the election? Shouldn't you be required to see everything that occurs leading up to the election day? Why not allow early voting the day after a candidate wins the election? You can immediately vote for him again for his re-election in four years or six years for Senate. You should get a small window to vote early, a week before the election, not months. It's ridiculous. And why should mail-in ballots be allowed to come in after the election day? Suddenly, that's how, uh, in these close races, Democrats always seem to win after the election day. They're behind and then days after the election, they end up winning. Except the mail-ins only perhaps a week before the election and not after. Count them as they come in. If they come in after the election, they don't count. And, and don't mail them out to people who are dead, who aren't registered to vote, who aren't legal, who shouldn't be permitted to vote. Multiple ballots out to the same person. If we're going to insist upon letting people vote by mail, then we need to clean up the voting rolls and ensure that the right people are voting. It's not racist to insist upon this. We need to ensure that the people who show up for voting are the ones who say they are as well. Why did Democrats resist this and Republicans want it? Can you guess why? And, and why don't Republicans make this happen? I'll tell you why again. Failed leadership. As for ballot harvesting, people can't be allowed to drop off hundreds of ballots, one person per ballot, designated before the election or perhaps a few weeks before. Isn't the whole point of elections to ensure that no fraud occurs? Again, Democrats love ballot harvesting. Can you guess why? Now, do I think that fraud occurred in these midterms? I, you know, I'm not sure. I think some certainly happened. But if there's fraud, there's also Democrats who have a much better ground game. They get their vote out better. They're bussing them in to vote. They're harvesting those ballots, which are legal right now. That's why the great majority of early votes in the mail-ins are from Democrats, because they have the leadership to get the vote out. Maybe Republicans can wake up at some point. I don't know. Perhaps before the country sinks into the mud and maybe do the same. Instead, Republicans are patting themselves on the back. They're, they're, they're still patting themselves on their back about the Supreme Court's ruling on abortion. God knows Republicans love to save black babies. They, they can't bear for women to be able to abort black babies. Once they turn age one, however, Republicans don't care so much for the black babies. I actually feel for moderate Republicans who are part of a party which is controlled by religious idiots who thought that the Supreme Court's abortion decision, I mean in May, was a good thing for the country. It wasn't. It wasn't. First of all, this is the one issue that both parties can agree on, is a woman's right to choose. That's what the majority of the country thinks. So overturning Roe v. Wade hurt Republicans badly. It caused women to come out in droves and vote. It caused young people to vote. They weren't just coming out because they were lied to about that $10,000 forgiveness and student loans that Biden promised. I predicted it here, by the way, that as soon as the election was over, it would be deemed illegal. And it was just last week. They came out, all these people, the women, the young people, for women's rights. And who handed them that? Who handed them that issue? Who gave them that impetus to get off their lazy asses? Republicans. Sam Alito smirking, patting himself on the back. Wonderful job you did there. Wonderful job you did there. Just 
as idiotic as the churches and the Republican Party are about abortion, the leftists would rather abort their kids than eat. They don't care if they can't eat or pay for a roof over their head as long as they can abort. As long as they can abort fetuses. My God, that's all they care about. Eating is less important to them. That the conservative Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade just a few months before midterms is a paragon of idiocy. Again, regarding fraud, I don't know. But there are some things that I surely do know, and they're true. During the four years that a Republican was in the White House, from 2016 to 2020, Republicans did nothing to prevent voter fraud. Nothing. You can blame Mitch McConnell, and you should. The minority of the leader of the Senate is an utterly worthless, feckless leader. You can blame Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader of Congress, and the thought of of, of such a useless bag of shit becoming majority leader is nauseating if somehow the Republicans take the House, and I do not think that they will. He's done nothing to combat fraud or to help Republicans get the vote out post-COVID. He and McConnell are barely visible. Barely. Both of them. They have done nothing to stop voter fraud, ballot harvesting, the lack of ID at polling stations. They have done nothing to get the Republican vote out. On election day, polls showed that Republicans would win both the Senate and the House. As I said, it will be a miracle if they carry the House, and if they do, it'll be by one or two votes. It'll be meaningless because there's enough lunatics that'll buck the party, at least the Republican Party. But how do you even trust what the, the media and the polls say? They were certainly wrong in 2016 with Trump. But this is a funny thing. I don't know if anybody else caught this. On Thursday or Friday, I read an article in the New York Post. Now, granted, it's a bottom-feeding garbage newspaper, but it contained a quote from a Republican operative source who said that, quote, we won the House by a lot, and I firmly believe we will win the Senate. This was like Thursday or Friday after the election. How can the Post publish this? Did anybody look at this article before it went in? By the time that hit the paper, it was completely wrong. It wasn't even close on both the Senate and the House. In the same article, the Post had someone give an opinion, another operative, operative, brilliant operatives in the Republican Party. They opined about how Ron DeSantis might agree to run as vice president on a ticket in 2024 with Trump at the top. Think about the utter insanity of such a statement. Who could possibly be so dumb to believe this? That's what Ron DeSantis wants to do. He's now the de facto leader of the Republican Party, one of the only winners to come out of of, uh, the election day on Tuesday. And that's the first thing he wants to do is jump into a ship with 27,000 leaks with this imbecile Trump uh, over him and lose and end his political career. Who could possibly be so dumb to believe this? These are the political writers for the New York Post. They know less about politics than a fucking goldfish. A goldfish. Anyway, Mitch McConnell has shown zero interest in Republicans winning the midterms. He's the leader of Republicans in the Senate. And here's how much money was raised for Republican candidates in crucial Senate battles. In Arizona. Blake Masters, the Republican who just lost, was outspent by Democrat Mark Kelly, 73 million to 9 million. In Georgia, idiot wife beater Republican Herschel Walker was outspent by idiot wife beater Raphael Warnock, 76 million to 22 million. Walker will surely lose the runoff in December. Neither of them got the majority. There's going to be a runoff. I promise you, Walker will lose that. But it won't make any difference regardless in terms of who controls the Senate, because already in Nevada, uh, Republican Adam Laxalt lost to Catherine Cortez Masto. He was outspent $47 million to $12 million. And in New Hampshire, Republican Don Bulldock was outspent by Maggie Hassan $36 million to $2 million. Bulldog is a MAGA Republican who is strongly endorsed by Donald Trump. Now, McConnell's PAC spent a good amount of money, but made some curious decisions, which surely cost Republicans. He slashed funding to Blake Masters in Arizona. And listen, listen to this. 
instead gave money like eight or nine million to Lisa Murkowski in Alaska? She's the incumbent that only wins elections in Alaska because of ranked voting there. It's not regular voting there, which means all the candidates from both parties, as many Republicans or Democrats as they want, they all run together. Voters don't pick one. They have to rank their choices. At each stage of the election, the candidate with the least votes gets eliminated until there's just two left, and they go to the second choice and the third choice and the fourth choice. That's how Murkowski will win this election, even though she's finished behind another Republican. Why is Mitch McConnell spending millions to help Murkowski when a Republican would have already won the seat? It's wasted money, but it's even worse. Except, you know, Murkowski, she votes like a Democrat. So Mitch McConnell is helping not even a rhino, but worse, practically a Democrat. She voted against Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court confirmation and for the liberal Kentonji Brown-Jackson for the uh, Supreme Court. This is regardless of whether you think either one of them was qualified. I'm not even discussing that. I'm just talking about politics here. Murkowski lost the Republican primary in 2010 and ran and won as a write-in candidate. So Republicans had that Alaska Senate seat already, but McConnell wasted millions instead of giving the money to a Republican who needed it in a battleground state. What are we doing here? What the fuck are we doing here? Why would you help somebody who doesn't need the help? We already have the seat. Why wouldn't you give that huge amount of money to someone who barely lost in a battleground state and was so badly outspent? Forget the failure to properly fund candidates. McConnell and McCarthy have done nothing to help Republican Party, the Republican Party, on any major issues. They're practically invisible as liberals have reshaped the political landscape since Biden took over. We have a border crisis that's overwhelming the country. Where is McConnell? Any threat of a government shutdown if the Democrats don't get serious about closing the border? Any real conflict over spending bills? Any stink put up about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's ties to China? Instead, McConnell is silent as we keep funding a war in the Ukraine with tens of billions of dollars that we don't have. McConnell and McCarthy are invisible. You think Nancy Pelosi's invisible? Chuck Schumer? They're not invisible. The only things that, the thing that makes McCarthy and McConnell look good in comparison is when you bring Trump into the equation who's not only dishonest, disgusting, moronic, and a criminal, he's also a comically inept politician. Now, Trump has been raising money nonstop, but did he give any decent amount of it to candidates who could have helped Republicans win the Senate? Of course not. Instead, he's raising money from good-intentioned Republicans and giving the money to his lawyers to defend himself from the various criminal investigations that he's found himself in almost completely due to his own stupidity and fraud. He spent $3.8 million alone on lawyers in August. Taxpayer money that are giving it to him, not from his own money. You spent that money. One lawyer insisted upon a $3 million payment up front because Trump is well known for stiffing people that he owes money to, that he hires. If he called me and asked me to represent him, now listen, I wouldn't take it, because you're cursed if you represent him. But I would insist upon a huge amount of money up front. He's a crook. He doesn't pay his lawyers. This is even worse. He sent out fundraising emails that appeared to be for three Senate races that hadn't been called yet. This was last week. Nevada, Georgia, and Arizona. Now, since then, uh, Nevada and Arizona are both going to be, or I think have already been called. Arizona's already been called for the Democrat. And Nevada, if it hasn't been, will be very shortly, I think has actually as well. Both of them has been. Georgia's the runoff. But if you click the link from the email that he sent out, the majority of the money goes to guess who? Trump? That's how he set the email up. Two of the races, zero goes to that Senate candidate. Only in one Georgia would Herschel Walker get any money and just 10%. The rest, 90% goes to Trump, who naturally is going to keep it for his own needs not going to spend it on the Republican Party. He then sent out another fundraising email over the weekend. This one was just for Herschel Walker to help him fund his uh, runoff race. It says, 
contribute any amount immediately to the official Georgia runoff fundraising goal. And then when you click the link, it auto defaults to splitting your donation 90% to Trump and 10% to Herschel Walker. He's not just a grifting scumbag or criminal. As I said, he's also a horrible politician who cares only about himself. He doesn't even pretend to care about the party or the country for that matter. He lost the 2018 midterm elections. He lost the 2020 general election. And now he is largely responsible for losing a can't-lose 2022 midterms. The idea that Democrats could have avoided total destruction here is stunning. But for Trump, Trump is the common denominator in all of those losses. Nearly every candidate he endorsed got smoked. In any competitive race, all of his candidates lost. And the liberals knew this. They know that he's toxic, that people hate him. So they purposely gave money to Trump-endorsed candidates in the primaries to ensure that these election-denying freaks won the Republican primary, only to get destroyed in the general election because sane independents vote there. It's pretty disgusting and pretty dishonest of the Democrats, but it worked. The MAGA morons, they, they, love the, they just love the election-denying shit. And they keep nominating shitty candidates just because they passed the Trump litmus test, which is only one question. They don't have to be competent or have any experience in politics. They don't have to have any good ideas. They don't have to uh, know how to raise money. They just need to say that Trump was robbed two years ago. That's all that Trump asked for in order to get an endorsement. Problem is that only the MAGA freaks want to hear about election denial. The rest of the country is sick and tired of it. Everyone has moved on but Trump and his base. This one idiot, John Gibbs, who ran for Congress as a MAGA Republican in Michigan, he beat an incumbent Republican during the primary who dared to vote to impeach Trump after what Trump did to cause the January 6th riot at the Capitol. So naturally, Trump endorsed this lunatic Gibbs. Democrats contributed to Gibbs, giving him $435,000 for ad buys. That's more than Gibbs himself had raised for the race, and almost a hundred times what Trump contributed to him via his PAC. John Gibbs naturally lost his race against a Democrat by 13 points. Gibbs, by the way, once said that women shouldn't have the right to vote. He also said that officials associated with Hillary Clinton participated in satanic rituals. None of that mattered to Trump, just that Gibbs believed that Trump lost to Biden because of fraud. Here's part of Gibbs' concession statement from the other night, and like his hero Trump, he naturally takes no blame. Quote, through no fault of our own, the results did not turn out the way we wanted. Again, I'm going to repeat that. Through no fault of our own, the results did not turn out the way we wanted. Are you suggesting fraud, you imbecile? And that's what he did. He then blamed fraud. Though our hearts are broken, we continue to ask that God's will be done. God had nothing to do with this, you idiot. You did, because you're incompetent, because you're dumb. You think anyone voting for this lunatic is sane? Of course not. This is MAGA slop. That's why he lost. In almost every place that Trump endorsed moron lost, there had been a regular Republican who should have been the party's nominee, a nominee who could have taken advantage of the horrible conditions that Joe Biden and his party were in during the midterms. How about this Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, huh? A slimy TV snake oil salesman. Trump's idiot wife suggested that Trump endorse him over an establishment Republican candidate who was handpicked by the Republican who held the office and was retiring. Trump's wife, first of all, actually watches Dr. Oz on TV? Who was so fucking dumb to watch Dr. Oz on TV? And Trump was sold naturally. And he said that he endorsed Oz because Oz was famous because he was on TV, which is all a moron like Trump cares about. Naturally, Oz couldn't beat John Fetterman. He's only got brain damage and can't speak or think. It doesn't matter to Democrats. They'd elect a stapler for Senate if it would vote left on every issue. Every seat was so valuable, every last one of them. And yet Trump only cared about winning the 2020 race that he lost to Biden. So he had to get all these bootlicking lackeys in place. That's all. 
Helping the Republican Party meant nothing to him. Helping the country meant nothing. He stole your money. He didn't care about winning the Senate or House, except in how it would provide a backdrop for his very important announcement that he's running for president in 2024. So he bashed the Republicans that were running against Oz, the Republican that ran against Oz in the primary. And we ended up with this slimy loser Oz in the general election. And we know how that ended in Arizona. Trump picked Blake Masters to run against Mark Kelly in the Senate race. Why did Trump go against Arizona Governor Doug Ducey and instead support Masters? Well, because Ducey wouldn't overturn the 2022, excuse me, the 2020 election results in Arizona. And then Trump let Masters dangle in the wind, didn't give him the money needed to beat Kelly. Naturally, Masters lost. How about this Don Bullduck in uh, New Hampshire? He got Trump's support in the Republican primary for the Senate by saying that Trump got robbed in 2020. Bullduck won the primary, but found that in the general election, being an election-denying Trump idiot wasn't something that would help him win over independence. So after Bullduck lost, Trump naturally turned on him. Don Bullduck was a very nice guy, but he lost tonight when he disavowed, after his big primary win, his long-standing stance on election fraud in the 2020 presidential primary. That's what Trump wrote on his social media platform that nobody looks at, Truth Social. This is what Trump said on Tuesday. Had he stayed strong and true, he would have won easily. Lesson learned. Really? Really, Trump? Which election-denying Trump candidate won any of them? Any race. They all lost. Tudor Dixon. She ran for governor in Michigan in, in, against perhaps the worst governor in the country. This Gretchen Whitmer, who shut down Michigan so tightly during the pandemic that she wouldn't even allow surgical procedures unless they were like life-saving. People died because of this decision. She destroyed Michigan. Guess what? She beat Trump's election-denying candidate, Tudor Dixon. Why? Because of Trump. Another election denier was Doug Mastriano, who ran for governor in Pennsylvania. Trump supported him because he was an election denier, and he lost. Who did win big for the actual Republican Party? Who actually won for us? Did anybody win for Republicans? Well, the candidates that told Trump to drop dead. Remember Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia? He wouldn't help Trump overturn the vote in Georgia in 2020. So naturally, Trump did the insane thing and practically endorsed Stacey Abrams that far-leftist maniac who ran against them in the general election. But first, Trump endorsed Kemp's primary opponent, David Perdue, who naturally, uh, naturally claimed that Trump was robbed in 2020. Trump attacked Kemp in the most vicious ways. How do you attack another Republican? Just shut your mouth. But why uh, did he attack another Republican like Kemp? Because he doesn't care about the party. He doesn't care about America. He only cares about himself. Naturally, Kemp beat Purdue by 52 points in the primary. Then Trump said this about Stacey Abrams, who would be running against Kemp in the general election for governor in Georgia. Abrams is, uh, coincidentally, is an election denier like Trump. She never conceded losing the governor's race to Kemp uh, in 2018 until like a few days before the 2022 election. This is what Trump said. Stacey would you like to take Kemp's place? It's okay with me. Of course, having her, I think, might be better than having your existing governor, if you know what I think, might well be better. Really? Abrams is one of the most dangerous liberal politicians in the country. Let me tell you something about her. She heads a voting rights group called Fair Fight Action, which sued the state of Georgia over her failed race for governor in 2018. She claimed the voter suppression. It was a single case which she lost. The court found that no such voter suppression in Georgia occurred. Abrams raised money from taxpayers to pay for this. Tens of millions of dollars. The law firm that litigated this single case, it's a firm in Georgia headed by Allegra Lawrence Hardy. You got to have a hyphen in your name if you want to be a liberal. This is Abrams' close friend who also chaired her governor campaigns both in 2018 and 2022. The firm has 17 lawyers. 17. Abrams Voting Rights Group spent over $25 million in two years on legal fees, mostly on this single failed case. 
and 9.4 million of it went to this one law firm headed by Abrams' close friend and chair of her campaign. That's what they received just in 2019 and 2020. For the years 2021 and 22, the years in which the failed Abrams litigation had most of its litigation, we don't have the numbers yet on how much money was funneled to that firm from Abrams' uh, voting group yet. The federal tax filings aren't yet available for those two years. But the amount of money spent on this single law firm is beyond the pale. It's madness. This was a single failed litigation without a trial. $9.4 million for two years for a law firm with just 17 lawyers? That would mean every lawyer in that firm worked just on this case for two years, even when the amount of work needed to service the case was way, way, way less. And the money given to that firm was given by Abrams to her very close friend and head of her campaign. Some people might think that this was money laundering, that it was a money laundering operation in which Abrams sent a massive amount of money that she raised to her friend, who then gave it back to Abrams somehow. How else to explain what surely will be tens of millions of dollars spent on a single failed litigation without a trial? In Georgia, where legal fees are not exactly New York City prices, I can tell you that no New York law firm would have charged so much over just a a few years for a failed litigation that ended without a trial. Trump stabbed every Republican in the back when he practically endorsed Stacey Abrams. It's utter madness. And people in the party still support him? Trump's lunacy cost us so many important seats, even Secretary of State seats in Nevada, Arizona. These are the people that control the voting in these states. Trump didn't care. He wanted conspiracy theorists. He wanted those QAnon maniacs. Anyone who supported his claim that he was robbed in 2020, and they all lost. Who else won uh, in this situation in the Republican Party besides Brian Kemp? Well, how about in Georgia, incumbent Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who stood up to Trump in 2020 and refused Trump's request on a phone call, that famous phone call, to, quote, find 11,780 votes which is one more than we have because we won the state. Trump was pushing him. He was down by 11,000, I guess, 779 votes, and he needed Raffensperger to find enough votes to overturn the election. He was pushing him to commit a crime. He refused. Raffensperger won his case. Now, who was the biggest winner Tuesday night? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who now should be the leader of the Republican Party. Disgustingly, listen to this, just days before DeSantis was running for re-election for governor in Florida, and keep in mind that he barely won his last election four years ago, he won by 30,000 votes in an election that had 8 million votes cast. Trump trashed him just days before the election, hoping that it would cost DeSantis the race against former governor Charlie Crist. He called DeSantis Ron DeSanctimonious. How does the leader of a political party go after someone in his own party right before the election? Think about how insane this is. He was trying to cost DeSantis the election. He was trying to get people not to vote for him. He was sending the signal. He attacked him. For that alone, he should be kicked out of the Republican Party. And it gets worse. He actually said the night before DeSantis is running for re-election, Trump says, about DeSantis. If he did run, I will tell you things about him that won't be very flattering. I know more about him than anybody other than perhaps his wife, who is really running his campaign. He's threatening Ron DeSantis. He's blackmailing him, in essence. If you run, I'm going to spread dirt about you. How utterly insane is this? The night before DeSantis is running for re-election. I'll say it again, for that alone, for that treason, he should be kicked out of the Republican Party. Tell me, Trump supporters, how does that help the Republican Party just a day or two before midterms by trashing DeSantis? DeSantis cleaned up Florida. He didn't shut it down during the pandemic, unlike Trump, who shut the whole country down, who listened to Fauci, who didn't fire Fauci. 
Then after the bloodbath that was last Tuesday, Trump again went on the attack against his own party. First, he went after Oz and his own wife for suggesting Trump should endorse him. You really have to go after your wife for this? You're not smart enough to know that Oz is scummy, that nobody wants him? It's her fault that he was so dumb to listen to her? What does she know about politics? Like I said, who even watches that idiot Oz's show? Then he went after Don Bolduck in New Hampshire, as I said, but the worst he saved for Ron DeSantis, who had the temerity to destroy Charlie Crist by 20 points and flip very long-time Blue County's red. This was a guy who barely won four years ago, as I said, and now he's the most popular governor in America. And it all is because he actually performed well. He actually helped people in Florida. And liberals, Democrats, understand this, and they flip their vote for him. He did what he said he was going to do. He helped people. Instead of just talking a lot and doing nothing, like this imbecile Trump. Why was Trump mad at DeSantis? For one reason and one reason only. He sees DeSantis as a major threat in 2024, and DeSantis did not rule out running for president in 2024. Why would he when you have uh, a lunatic at the head of the party who's so toxic and everyone knows he can't possibly win the next election? So not only did Trump abuse DeSantis, which was so wildly inappropriate, but he lied, and he said the only way DeSantis won in 2018 was because Trump sent in the FBI and U.S. attorneys to stop the steal? This is utter bullshit. There's no proof of this, just more lies. Somehow Trump had control over the FBI and the Justice Department when he needed to help DeSantis win his race, but he seemingly had no control over them when he needed the FBI and Department of Justice for himself to help against Biden. P.S. DeSantis had some class and didn't even respond to the stupidity of Trump. Trump, Trump also uh, ha had this bit of idiocy that he said, quote, now that the election in Florida is over and everything went quite well, shouldn't it be said that in 2020, I got 1.1 million more votes in Florida than Ron D got this year, 5.7 million to 4.6 million? Just asking, think how dumb this is on so many levels. He's not concerned with losing the Senate. He's only concerned with this fantasy matchup against someone in his own party. And he, they weren't even going head to head. Regarding the 1.1 million more votes that Trump received in 2020 compared to what DeSantis got last week when he ran for governor, Trump, somehow Trump didn't mention that 3.5 million more people naturally voted in the presidential election in Florida in 2020 than they did for governor in 2022 because the presidential race is more important. Also, Trump didn't mention that Biden only lost to Trump by three points in Florida, while DeSantis beat Charlie Crist by 20 points, the largest margin of any Florida governor in 40 years. What Trump did to DeSantis, again, was treasonous. He should be thrown out of the Republican Party. Unfortunately, there's still too many MAGA idiots who will follow him blind off a cliff. Guess what? Trump can't win any race ever again. And finally, sane Republicans realize. I've been saying it since the first podcast I had here a year ago. I've been saying it since 2016. This is what Trump has become. From being an outsider who overturned the Clinton dynasty, who we all had to look at with wonder when it happened, he was turning the swamp on its head. And it seemed he was doing it for all of us who were just so sick of the swamp, sick of these family uh, dynasty politics, sick of the same old, same old where we felt that we had no say in what went on in the country. That's what Trump was in 2016. Now what he's doing is just clearly just for himself. He's willing to harm the rest of us for his own greed, for his own interests. And why Trump really was pissed about the Republicans' bad showing last week? He doesn't give a shit about it hurting the country or hurting the party. He doesn't care about that. The losses made him look bad. Naturally, his, his idiocy did him in, and he can't take credit for the red wave that never happened. That's why he was planning to announce his re-election campaign this week on the 15th, with the red wave as the backdrop that he would, of course, take credit for. Except he caused it not to happen. 
So maybe we'll get lucky and he'll postpone this announcement. It's the announcement that he claims will make us all very happy. Who in their right mind would be very happy with Trump announcing that he's running for president? Seriously. Who in their right mind thinks that this clown can win in 24 when he got his ass kicked last week and by Biden two years ago? Again, Trump's anger was not on behalf of his party or the country, just him. And an example of how insane Trump is, is he had his political fixer and convicted criminal Roger Stone still speaking on his behalf. Stone claimed that DeSantis was disloyal, and apparently to Roger Stone, loyalty is everything. Yet a few weeks ago, Stone was on camera calling Ivanka Trump an abortionist bitch. He's very big on loyalty. And Trump is suddenly so big on loyalty. This is the guy you want, the guy who caused everyone to show up on January 6th. But then when they got arrested, he pardoned Lil Wayne and Democratic donors instead. Have you had enough of the Trump circus, of the constant stomach-churning chaos? The constant stupidity? No. Last week, he went after another very popular Republican in the party, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. Why did he attack Youngkin? Youngkin wasn't even running last week for anything. Trump trashed them out of the blue for one reason, because he's popular in the party and he's a threat to Trump in 2024. Youngkin didn't do shit. That's who Trump thinks his political enemies are, not Democrats people in his own party that he think can beat him in the primary. This is what he said, and it was full-blown Captain Quig, mutiny on the bounty, where are the frozen strawberries, lunacy, quote, young kin, two words. Now, isn't that an interesting take? Sounds Chinese, doesn't it? In Virginia, couldn't have won without me. That's what he wrote on his, his idiotic platform, Truth Social. Young kin? His name is Y-O-U-N-G-K-I-N. It's one word. He's not Asian. But Trump, of course, is a racist bastard, and he's trying to play into the fact that his real name is Young Kin, and he's Chinese, and Chinese is bad. China is bad. So this was insanity and racism all wrapped up in one. Again, it's treasonous to the Republican Party. And you can see that none of his advisors are going anywhere near him. None of his advisors clearly want anything to do with him. They're not stopping him. They're not fixing all of the, the grammatical errors, the words that are capitalized for no reason in his tweets on, on Truth Social. They're just letting him make asinine statements on his own. Racist, dumb garbage. I ask you this. Do you want to get America back or do you want to go down the drain with this idiot Trump? He picked sure losers and winnable races and barely spent any money to help them. He has $110 million in his war chest, and it's mostly for him and his lawyers. A historic opportunity was before the Republican Party, and because of Trump, it was a historic loss, all because his only concern is backing candidates. And all they had to do was say that he was robbed in 2020. Trump, McConnell, McCarthy, they're all losers. The party needs to purge them forever. Burn it down and start with sane people only. The bottom line is that both parties need to appeal to independents to win races because they're the ones that decide races. In the past four midterms, independents by double-digit margins, listen to this, chose the party that did not hold the White House. In 2018, with Trump as president, the independent vote was 12 points in Democrats' favor in that midterms. In 2006, with George W. Bush in the Oval Office, the number was 18 points in the Democrats' favor. When Barack Obama was president in 2010 and 2014 during those midterms, independents went 16 and 12 points in the Republicans' direction, respectively during midterms. This past week, Independence went 49 to 48 for the Democrats, one point in the other direction. Independence make the difference in elections, and independence hate Trump's guts. No one wants to hear the narcissistic election fraud bullshit, even if it's true. People want to move forward, not backward. Independents are suffering from high inflation, high gas prices, high interest rates, and a low 401k account. 
You think they want to hear Trump whining about how this is all about him? How he got screwed two years ago? No one cares. The independent voters hate his guts. Who doesn't hate him? Except the hardcore MAGA idiots. The same people who were thrilled, as I said, with the abortion decision when it came down from the Supreme Court. Not caring at all that it would kill us for midterms. And based on exit polls, it did kill Republicans. The decision couldn't wait until after the midterms? And now we will all suffer from Trump's debacle. The left will have control of the Senate and probably Congress as well. They'll do whatever they want. They'll spend as much money as they want on ridiculous, stupid shit. You'll all be driving electric cars soon and paying reparations to every minority on the planet who claims abuse. The borders will remain wide open. They'll pack the Supreme Court if they want. They can do whatever they want now because of Trump. And I'm afraid that if DeSantis actually does primary Trump, I pray he does, but if somehow he does and beats him, you think Trump is going to go away quietly? No way. He'll sabotage the general election in 2024, just the way he tried to sabotage Georgia Governor Kemp's election and DeSantis' election last week. He'll either tell his MAGA imbeciles to stay home the way he did uh, for the two Senate races in Georgia in 2020 after he lost, or he'll run as an independent, ensuring that DeSantis loses. Give me one bit of evidence that Trump cares about this country or the Republican Party more than he cares about himself. One piece of evidence. There is none. The Democrats have a ground game in place that harvests votes, that gets the vote out, no matter how unpopular their shitty candidates are. We did nothing in four years to counter any of this because the leader of the party is an unmitigated imbecile, and the Republican leaders in the Senate and Congress are utterly useless. If we keep this up, there will never be another Republican elected to the White House. We'll never have control of the Senate or Congress again. It's getting very close to that. Jeffrey Lichtman for Beyond the Legal Limit. I'll be back after this. Jeffrey Lichtman for Beyond the Legal Limit. I've got one more quick uh, story to talk about is the Kyrie Irving update. It's a week later and everything seems to be cleared up in case you were concerned. Nets owner Joe Tsai, whose texts Kyrie wasn't returning during the fiasco from two weeks ago, despite paying him $40 million a year, said that Kyrie is not anti-Semitic. And this is what he said. We spent quality time to understand each other. And it's clear to me that Kyrie does not have any beliefs of hate towards Jewish people or any group. Woo! I'm relieved. Adam Silver, the Jewish commissioner of the NBA, stated as follows, quote, We had a direct and candid conversation. He's someone I've known for a decade, and I've never heard an anti-Semitic word from him or frankly hate directed at any group. Whew! What a relief that's over. I can see when you're hanging out with the commissioner uh, of the NBA and you're an NBA player, you walk up to him and say, Hey, Adam, how are you? How about those fucking Jews? And I could see that happening. So Adam Silver said it never happened. He didn't say anything bad about Jews. Hey, Adam, what you think of the game last night? And those fucking Jews. Yeah. Okay, Adam. That, that, that's helpful. LeBron James, the most famous athlete on the planet, stated, I told you guys that I don't believe in sharing hurtful information, and I'll continue to be that way. But Kyrie apologized, and he should be able to play. That's what I think. It's that simple. Help him learn, but he should be playing. What he's asked to do to get back on the floor, I think it's excessive, in my opinion. He's not the person that's being portrayed of him. Whew, that was quick. Kyrie isn't a Jew hater, and what's being asked of Kyrie to come back is excessive. First of all, LeBron, he barely plays in half the games anyway due to his own choice. Now, all of a sudden, you want him back on the court? When he was taking mental health days, did you ask him to go back on the court then? Let's listen to the things that are required of him. LeBron says this is excessive, required of Kyrie to get back on the court. He has to issue an apology for posting a link to the movie, okay, that movie. And he also has to condemn the harmful and false content in that movie and make it clear that he doesn't have anti-Jewish beliefs. That is a really difficult thing to do, to actually apologize. Let's see. Kyrie promoted a movie on his social media account, which has more followers than there are Jews on the planet. In the movie, it's claimed that the Holocaust is a fake, 
that Jews made it up to conceal their nature and protect their status and power, that Jews started the slave trade, that Jews worship Satan, that Jews of today are not even really Jews. As evidence to these claims, the movie that Kyrie posted the link to cites as evidence the fabricated Protocols of the Elders of Zion and two fabricated quotes attributed to Adolf Hitler. Despite posting this film on his social media, Irving hilariously first claimed that he was somehow unaware at how wrong and dangerous these ideas are. Hmm, the Holocaust didn't occur, and Jews are Satanists that started the slave trade. Is that bad? Who could possibly think that's bad? He was repeatedly told exactly why these ideas were hateful and exactly why they were false, and he still refused to apologize. So, number one, apologize. LeBron said he already apologized. Done. All's forgiven. Number two, complete the anti-hate causes uh, that Irving, the Nets, and the Anti-Defamation League agreed upon already, which means he has to give $500,000 towards causes and organizations that work to eradicate hate and intolerance in communities. Not a lot of money for a guy who's on a four-year guaranteed contract for $136 bucks. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Suns, he acted in a sexist manner, and he used the N-word twice when he was quoting someone else. Received a $10 million fine. Kyrie had to pay $500,000 for claiming that Jews worship Satan and that the Holocaust was a fake and refusing to apologize for it? It's a drop in the bucket. Is that such a big deal, LeBron, $500,000? Here's three and four that LeBron claims are onerous. Complete sensitivity training created by the Nets. Complete anti-Semitic, anti-hate training designed by the Nets. How is this even remotely controversial? He promoted a video with the worst anti-Semitic hate in existence, and he claimed he was just enlightening his people after doing his Kyrie research. Well, now he's got to do some more research, this time not fabricated lies about Jews. What's the problem? Kyrie loves research. He loves researching that the earth is flat, that Jews are Satanists, that we created the slave trade. He also supports Alex Jones and some of his idiotic conspiracy theories. How is it too excessive for him to simply learn the truth? LeBron says it's too much. Number five, meet with representatives from the Anti-Defamation League as well as the Jewish community leaders in Brooklyn. How awful for Kyrie, a Muslim has to spend an hour with Jews. I mean, my God, LeBron is so right. It's so excessive for a Jew hater to have to sit with Jews for an hour. Can you imagine how awful that must be? After former Clippers owner Donald Sterling was kicked out of the league for hating blacks in private, not publicly like Kyrie, NBA Commissioner Silver met with representatives from civil rights groups to discuss and address their concerns moving forward. We're very concerned what they thought but apparently there's a double standard here for LeBron. Kyrie should not have to meet with Jews and listen to their concerns, only when it's the other way around. Number six, and this one is brutal. I understand why LeBron's upset. Kyrie has to meet with Nets owner Joe Tsai and demonstrate the lessons learned and that and the gravity of the harm caused in this situation is understood and provide assurances that he won't hate Jews publicly in the future. Can you imagine how difficult that is? He has to actually talk to his boss who's paying him 40 million a year. 40 million to a guy who takes days off, with, doesn't come into work without telling anybody, who needs mental health days when he's getting paid $500,000 a game to play 30 minutes. That's $17,000 a minute. P.S. The movie and book that Kyrie promoted is now a bestseller in the country which means there will be more Jew hate due to what Kyrie did. I think that's significant harm caused by his actions. Don't you think so? Around the time that Kyrie was defending his Jew hate, an 18-year-old Muslim kid in New Jersey was getting arrested for stating online he was going to blow up some synagogues. I don't think it's asking so much for Kyrie to demonstrate publicly that he understands what he did, especially when he at first refused to state that he wasn't the Jew hater. Somehow LeBron thinks all of this is just too excessive. The truth is, it's nothing. It's too minor, if anything, 
when the NBA suspended Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver for a year and fined him $10 million after a report revealed his sexist behavior and the two times he stated the N-word again while quoting someone else. LeBron criticized the NBA's punishment less than two months ago for not being harsh enough. He tweeted, quote, There is no place for misogyny, sexism, and racism in any workplace. Don't matter if you own the team or play for the team. We hold our league up as an example of our values, and this ain't it. Apparently, there's plenty of room in the NBA for Jew hate, according to LeBron. Disgraceful. I keep hearing about how Kyrie is being treated unfairly because he's black, but anyone who looks at this objectively knows that he's being treated lightly because he's black. Ask Robert Sarver. He apologized instantly and begged for forgiveness. He didn't dig in and deny he did anything wrong for days, like Kyrie, until we recognized the massive problem of anti-Semitism in the black community. Those Jews who died for civil rights, who were killed by the KKK in Mississippi in the summer of 1964, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwarmer from New York City, the movie Mississippi Burning, reflects what happened to them. They were marching and helping out the blacks. They're suckers. That's what they are. Until we recognize how bad the anti-Semitism is in the black community, those Jews who help blacks, they're suckers. Jeffrey Lichtman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Thanks for listening to me this week. It was an angry, angry podcast. Sorry. You can find me on Apple Podcast. You can find me on iHeartRadio. You can find me on Spotify. Thanks for listening. Thank you.